Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso in New York with Greg Storr in Washington, D.C. Class actions are often a controversial area, and now the Ninth Circuit has widened the split among the circuit courts over one aspect of starting a class action. The case involved the 100 percent natural labels on Wesson cooking oils. Consumers in 11 states claim that label was false and misleading. But the question was, how could all the members of the class be identified when consumers generally don't save grocery receipts? might not even remember purchasing a particular cooking oil. The Ninth Circuit ruled the plaintiff's attorneys don't have to lay out a feasible plan to identify the class members at the time the class is being formed. That puts the Ninth Circuit in line with the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Circuits, but in conflict with the Third Circuit. Our guest is securities and class action attorney Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein. Mark, this is about what's called class certification. Will you start by explaining what what that is and how this issue came up. Sure. Uh, I'd be pleased to do that. Early in a case that's brought as a class action, the court has to make a determination that the case is suitable to be maintained as a class action, that the plaintiff is an appropriate representative of the class, and that the plaintiff's lawyer is competent to represent the class as well because the, the case is brought on behalf of thousands or tens of thousands or even more people who are not present in court to represent themselves. So the court has to be satisfied that the representative plaintiff can proceed on behalf of everyone. And the court makes that determination following a specific set of rules that are set forth in the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, Rule 23. And in this case, the court looked at the rule and analyzed whether the district court properly followed the class certification rule, Rule 23, in certifying the class to proceed as a class action. And Mark, how does this whole issue of ascertainability fit into that? Or let me ask it a different way. What, what in this case did ConAgra claim that the plaintiffs needed to show at the certification stage? Sure. The issue is this. The, the Third Circuit said uh, that in order to have a class certified, in addition to meeting the specific requirements of Rule 23, the plaintiff also has to demonstrate during the class certification process that the absent members of the class, all those tens of thousands of people who bought, in this case, Wesson Oil, are reasonably identifiable through some means that the plaintiff identifies in the process of class certification. And the Ninth Circuit looked at that argument and disagreed and said that Rule 23 does not have a special requirement for ascertainability. And, and so the court said, we're not going to create a new requirement. We think the we think we should apply Rule 23 the way it was drafted. The court went through a complex analysis of the legislative history of the rule and said the rule covers these issues and we don't need to create a whole new uh, additional requirement for plaintiffs. What was the argument that the Third Circuit made in saying that you have to identify the people up front? 
There were essentially three principal issues that the Third Circuit said. The first, the, the first of those issues is the court says that one of the reasons we go through the certification process is to identify class members who are entitled to receive notice of a pending class action so they can decide whether to participate in a class action or request exclusion to pursue their own individual claims. And the court says if you can't identify the members of the class easily, you can't send notice out. So that's one issue. And the Ninth Circuit disagreed. And it said, no, you don't, number one, the, neither the rules nor general principles of federal law require uh, that kind of mandatory individual notice to every conceivable member of the class. And the court also said that in a consumer case like this, and this had to do with the labeling of Wesson brand uh, cooking oils, uh, ConAgra sells Wesson oil, and it markets and advertises them as 100% natural. The plaintiffs say, no, they're not 100% natural, and that's the essence of the dispute. And the Ninth Circuit says, in a case like this, in a consumer case like this, where any individual's damages are going to be extremely small, the, the real interest that any consumer, any one consumer has in opting out and pursuing an individual claim for two or three or four dollars in damages or whatever it may be, is so remote as to be inconsequential. So we're not too worried about notice. Well, Mark, yeah. at some point, uh, the if the plaintiffs win this case, you know, there's going to have to be, uh, you know, they're going to have to ascertain who is entitled to the damages. What's the problem with, with requiring the plaintiff's lawyers to say up front you know, here's how we would do that, which which is which sort of sounds like what ConAgra was asking uh, them to do. Well, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with with asking the the plaintiff, do you have a, a mechanism for identifying class members at the end of the day? And and I suppose the the court's analysis permits that to be done, but only within the context of the specific inquiry that's required under Rule 23. There's two parts to Rule 23. The first part says that the plaintiff has to identify four specific criteria for certification, uh, being a sufficient number of people, we call that numerosity, that they all share common interests, that's called commonality, that the plaintiff's claim is typical of the claims of the absent class members, that it's the same kind of a claim, and, and that the plaintiff is an adequate class representative. And the Ninth Circuit says we're, we're going to infer from the rule that the, uh, this is the limit of our inquiry. The second part of Rule 23 has an additional requirement, and that's manageability. And the Ninth Circuit says that if you're going to consider this question of identifying class members, you should do so in the context of that inquiry, the manageability inquiry. Will it be possible to identify these class members without imposing such a burden on the court or on the litigants that it would be inappropriate to certify the class? But that's within the delicate balance that the statute, Rule 23, itself uh, puts in place not a judicial creation, this, this fifth element that the Third Circuit has suggested, this reasonable identifiability uh, element. So, 
So, Mark, what kind of impact does it have that the Ninth Circuit is now in line with the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Circuit, and the Third Circuit is the outlier? I mean, is it going to go to the Supreme Court, or is it just easier in those circuits? Well, June, you ask a good question. It highlights the split between the the circuits, the First, Second, and Third Circuit at one end of the spectrum, having this additional requirement, and the Sixth, Seventh, Eighth, and Ninth Circuits now having said no to the additional requirement. We often see cases go up to the Supreme Court when there is a split among the circuits. And and there was a split because already the 6th, 7th, and 8th circuits had rejected the 3rd circuit's approach. This case, I think, number one, highlights the difference. But number two, it lends some weight to the view of the 7th circuit, which was the first circuit to say no to the 3rd circuit's requirement and and I think it it does so in a in a very clear very uh, persuasive way analyzing the 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 language of the statute and applying what Justice Scalia would refer to as strict construction of rule 23 we have just about uh, 30 seconds left with the new Supreme Court coming up uh, you think it's going to be tougher on class actions? You know, I, I don't think so. I, I, as you know, I've said before, I think this court has in recent years been fairly good for class certification. And uh, I think it's likely that we'll see the same trend continue. I don't think there's going to be a sea change. But I think um, with, with the new administration coming in, anything is possible. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on. That's Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein. He is a securities and class action attorney. Coming up on Bloomberg Law, Chief Justice John Roberts drops out of a case after hearing arguments because he discovered a possible conflict of interest from his stock holdings. Seems to be a pattern among the three justices who hold individual stocks. What about that pattern? And should there be changes made? I'm June Grosso with Greg Storr. That's coming up on Bloomberg Law. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.